The Optimal Life. The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce. Sarah, come on. There's no such thing. What does that mean? (laughs) First of all, great to be with you, Nate. (laughs) Likewise. Uh, you know, it's interesting. And, and before I even start, you know, I, and the, the meaning of a good divorce is, is something that was actually defined by my daughter. Um, but to, to back up a little bit, I got divorced when my daughter was seven. And I had uh, grown up, my parents had been married 55 years. They're that happily married couple you think you're going to be when you get married. And but I watched really ugly divorces growing up of, of my parents' friends group, a couple of them that really kind of stuck with me. So when I got divorced, I said, you know, there has to be a better way. There has to be a better way. And so for me, the concept of a good divorce is when parent to, you know, a couple that decides to get divorced puts sets aside their personal feelings for one another and focuses on what's best for their children. And that's ultimately what uh, my ex-husband and I attempted to do with our divorce. So going back to your childhood, yeah, you saw some nasty divorces. Do you remember yeah. some of the things that really stuck with you that you said to yourself, oh, I, I would never want to have to deal with that? Yeah, I think the the impact it had on my friends and and because it was my it was both my friends and my parents' friends that were going through this. And I watched how um, you know one parent or the other wasn't as engaged as they could be in their child's life. I watched the bitterness that was brought up kind of on a uh, regular basis about that individual, you know? And so I just thought, you know, again, these are two parents that are raising children together and, you know, what is, what is the best thing for the the children? And, And I guess I watched where each parent was trying to do what they thought was best in fairness um, but I think the collective actions probably weren't, at the end of the day, the healthiest things for their kids throughout the course of their lives. So you would hear parents disparaging basically the other parent at times, Absolutely. like your asshole father, you could talk to your asshole, you know, whatever, right? Those kind of things. Yeah. Maybe not using those words, but yes, the, the sentiment. Yes. <laughs> okay. Okay. And yeah. and uh, and then that stuck with you. That's interesting that that stuck with you at a young age and that was all those years later, I find that somewhat peculiar that all those years later, when you were an adult mm-hmm. and seven years into your child's uh, life, yeah, you remember, okay, I remember these divorce things when I was young and I don't want to do that. Yeah. No, it's, it definitely stuck with me. It absolutely stuck with me. I, I saw it because I was a little bit front and center in a couple of these divorces um, with my friends. And it just really was a formative um, picture that I knew I didn't want to be a part of if I could, if I could help it. Sure. So when you were going through your own, uh Oh, this might not be working out with me and my husband. Mm-hmm. Did you already have friends that were separated and or divorced? No, actually I was the first. So you were the first, yeah, I was the first, you yes. had to be the first one to rip the bandaid off. I did. That's always scary. It was, it was. And, you know, and then to your point, because I only had that one mental model and I didn't have any current models to reflect on, I really had to step back and say, you know, what does it take? And, you know, one of the things, Nate, that I always uh, say, and actually one thing I just need to say, because I always forget to say is I'm not an advocate for divorce. I actually think in an ideal world, couples couples that get married, stay happily married for long term. You know, unfortunately, that's not always the case. And these days it's more common than ever. But you know, I always 
also reflect on the fact that no one gets married to get divorced. Right. Right. But no one generally gets divorced for positive reasons. There's usually a trigger of some type that causes you to go down that path. And so, you know, as I, as I look at the decision we were making, I just knew that Grace didn't get to make the decision that we were going to get a divorce, but her life was going to be the most significantly impacted by that decision. Grace being your daughter. Grace being my daughter. Yes. And so being the first, you know, going through the process and also knowing that this was going to have such a significant impact on her. I really wanted to step back and think how we might do it differently. That had to be scary though, because especially as a woman Mm -hmm. and uh, I I know that, you know, you're working and you've got all these things going on as well. Um, But to actually be the first one to admit to your friends, to admit to your community, hey, I failed at this, Absolutely. or we failed at this, whatever your feelings were. Yeah. Um, talk about how you were able to uh, uh, face those fears. Do you remember the first person you told? Absolutely. Yes. Who it was, was my parents? Your parents. That's that's got to be that's got to be uh, so terrifying. How did your parents have a nice relationship with your husband? They did. They did. And that makes it that much harder because your parents are about to get the shock of their life. Mm -hmm. When you sit them down and say, Hey, me and uh, hubby over here, we're we're, going to be splitting. Yep. And on top of that, a very Catholic family. Mm. Um, My dad ran not-for-profit Catholic hospitals my entire life. His boss was a nun. So I came from a a family that, you know, I was the first in my extended family also to really go through this. What's their reaction, Sarah? You know what? They were incredibly supportive and they have been from day one, but it was definitely a shock. It was a shock to to everyone. And so um, they were, have been amazing and I couldn't thank them enough for that support because I know it was definitely something they had to wrap their heads around as I did. And, And so it, uh, definitely came as a shock how about when you approach your friends yeah you know well yeah yeah, what were their reactions uh, initially uh surprised as well surprised as well but supportive i mean i think the thing is in life when you go through these moments your your family your friends you know they're there for you at least in my in my situation they were absolutely there for me and you know the the conversations that we had over the course of the time you know, actually parts of that are reflected in the book. I mean, I, I really had to think about, you know, what I needed from them through this process, which I didn't know at the time, but they were all, you know, whatever you need, whatever you can do to help. And so I think that's part of it is figuring out what you need. Excuse me. When you are, have approached your family and friends, uh, that that's a, a, you you're at a point where the decision in your head is is essentially final. Like I have gotten to a place where I'm ready to finally share this with the people that I'm closest with. Yes. That said, there is a process before you ever get there. And that process I would assume wasn't days, weeks or even months. I mean, that's a long process. So take us back prior to you telling everybody I mean, how long did it take you to get from that point to when you first started having doubts about the future of your marriage? 
It was it was multiple years. It was multiple, it was multiple years. years. Yeah. And so it wasn't an, it wasn't an overnight thing. I take it very seriously. Now, did he it. feel the same way, or do you not know? Yes, we both. It was it was a mutual decision. It was a mutual decision for years. Like like when you start questioning the marriage, what are some of the things that you're questioning? I just think at the end of the day, it's whether these two individuals in our instance, us as a couple, were meant to be married long term and be together long term. And we we knew that we had, and I you know I always say, Nate, that you know, as a couple, when you bring a child into the world, you know, um, and when children are involved, stakes are high. And so I felt like we owed it to Grace to ensure that she wasn't collateral damage due to this divorce, due to the decision that we were making to, you know, no longer be married to each other. What what you are know? some of the what are some of the the, the triggers or, or red flags, Sarah, from your own personal experience that when at the very early stages, maybe five years into your marriage, four or five years, where you start questioning, do you remember some of the things that were causing you to question? Yeah, in, in fairness, I don't think I'll go into those in, in detail here. But yes, there were definitely things that were flags for me. What would be some flags for other women or men to take a look at with when they're when they're sitting there contemplating their relationship? Hey, my partner's doing this, this, and this. Are there some things, though, typically you talk to a lot of people, whether it's your own personal situation or others, that you can say, hey, these are some some warning signs that you got to be careful about? Yeah, I mean, I think in any relationship, the uh, the points when it, it you're caused to pause and say, hmm, I don't know that that's, you know, either a situation I want to be put in or um, a an approach that I would take and it could be any any uh, range of things where these questions could be asked. And when those moments happen, and you think I'm living with this person, I'm married to this person, I'm raising children with this person, you know, you can um, you need to give yourself the space to reflect on those thoughts mm. and decide what you want to do about those or not. You know, then some people Nate decide not to do anything about it when those moments of pause take place in a relationship because they're too uncomfortable to recognize what's going on. It's easier to just shelf shelf it off. Well, I don't know if it's too uncomfortable. They decide to be uncomfortable. <laughs> they decide to live with the discomfort versus to potentially say there might be a, a better way to live. It's and, more uncomfortable to, it's more uncomfortable to address the discomfort than to actually just live with it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it comes down to the fact that in society, there is definitely still such a negative connotation to the concept of divorce. And I think that, you know, in many ways, if you have chosen to go down the path to get divorced, you end up carrying a bit of a scarlet letter, you know, that it's, you know, you're divorced. And, um, you know, I think that's actually one of the interesting moments I had in my own journey as I was at a business center in Mexico City with a group of colleagues and a colleague and good friend of mine turned to me and he said, Sarah, you're so happy. And I said, yeah, I'm really happy. He said, but you're divorced. And I said, someone getting divorced is not a death sentence. My ex-husband and I decided to no longer be married to each other. I'm happy. Grace is happy. My ex-husband's happy. I said, we're all happy. And, you know, I, that was actually a moment where I said to him, you know, I, I've been helping 
a number of my friends over the last handful of years with their own divorces. And they've all really encouraged me to write this guidance or, or the you know discussions we've been having, write write them down, share them with, with others. And so I said, but I don't, I'm not, I don't consider myself an author. And so uh, he said, you know, you should really think about that. So the next day I flew out of Mexico City, Nate, and I opened my personal laptop and I wrote, this book is written by a girl who never ever thought she would get a divorce, who got a divorce and what she learned along the way. Mm. Fascinating. It's fascinating his approach because so many people have that same mindset too. Mm-hmm. Hey, you're divorced. You're not supposed to have a smile. Aren't you ashamed of yourself? Don't Absolutely. you feel embarrassed? Yeah. Oh, all those things. Go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. And all those things. Like I feel like they, there's an expectation you should have a negative cloud that literally follows you around for the rest of your life because you ended it. You divorce is an action. You you get divorced. It yes. should not be the defining action of your life. Yes. That's so true. Perfectly said. And then I find those people too to be somewhat funny. I don't know how else to say it because it's almost like those are the type of people that would rather, they don't talk about all the people that are stuck in miserable situations, right? Those are the type of people that really shouldn't be walking around with a smile on their face, right? (laughs) But nobody wants to talk about that. Well, it's interesting because I, you know, somehow through my process, I did become kind of the poster child for a good divorce. And I recently had someone tell me that I made divorce look too good. Mm. Well, that's a, well, and again, that is the slippery slope and that is the other side of the coin. Right. In fairness, in fairness to those people who do say that, I would say the same thing. And I know you will too. As you mentioned, you're not an advocate for divorce. Mm-hmm. And in today's society, with social media and technology and access to people within seconds, anywhere in the world, people are living in a woe is me. I, my life sucks. I have to take care of the young kids while all these people are out running around and jet setting. And my husband doesn't do this for me or, or my wife doesn't do this for me. And uh, it's so easy to spiral down that rabbit hole and convince yourself I must be in a bad situation. Yeah. And, I, and the thing is, again, if couples can work on their marriages and be happy, I am, I, that is the best thing to do for you, for your children, you know, and, and please try. But if for some reason you've tried and you've tried and you've tried and tried and it's not going to work and you know it's not going to work, then I do think you owe it to your children when children are involved. Just take, take a step back and think, what would be best for them? Because as I mentioned earlier, like they can be collateral damage. I mean, even though a couple has decided they no longer be married to each other, they made a commitment to their children to bring them up in the healthiest environment possible. Yes. Right? I mean, I, I say that we we cover the plugs, you know, we put bike helmets on them, you know, we feed them organic milk. We do all these things to make sure they're safe and happy and healthy. But the toxicity that can come from living in a situation that is not optimal. And again, optimal is a relative term, but, you know, isn't healthy. And, you know, the toxicity that can come from going through an ugly divorce can have such an impact on a children's approach to relationships, you know, their views on marriage and their overall happiness of life. And so I just think we have a responsibility to really take co-parenting seriously 
with the intent of having a good divorce if you decide to go down that path. You mentioned giving it a shot, continuing to work on it, make sure, make sure, do all the work. And then if it's not there, you know what you need to do. So let me ask you, what is your overall take on couples therapy? I actually think, first of all, I think therapy in general is a healthy tool um, for yourself, for couples to go in and with the third party, talk through things. If you're not able to talk through them, you know, as a couple, you know, in your, in your own living room. And um, I do think it's an important tool to, to use and to see if it can help. Now, do I think couples therapy is going to solve everything? No, you know, because you have to be able to, it's not just about the hour where you go in and meet with a therapist and say, check the box. Okay. We met with a couple therapists today. It's everything you do outside of that room in the other hours that is actually going to make a difference and whether that, that hour with the therapist. That's the real work. That's the, that's the part that people don't want to do. <laughs> well, that's, that's the thing. Right? I think you think, Oh, we're going to a couple therapists. check, you know, yes. we're doing, Oh, that's just the start. My friends, that is just the start. Yeah. See, I, I think couples therapy is probably actually really good when you're doing it proactively, almost mm-hmm. as if they're, you're just doing it because, Hey, we have kids, we have careers. Mm-hmm. Let's just kind of check in every now and again with the therapist, see what's going on. I, to me, that is an actual healthy way to be proactive in, in your marriage versus the, the, the bridge has been, the bridge has been burned and now we're desperate. So we're going to go check that box. Like you said, we're going to go sit down with a stranger who knows nothing about us. And we're just delaying the inevitable breakup. That's my opinion. Well, no, you're right. It's, there's an element of timing. Right? Are you are you doing it to say you've done it, or are you doing it to help you to potentially change the course of your marriage? And those are two different. Those are really two different uses of couples therapy. And I think that's for a couple to figure out if they are willing to invest both the time and the effort, both in the in the sessions and outside of them, for them to help you. So, your book is titled, as we mentioned, "A Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce." And we'll link it here in the show notes for anyone that wants to read it, purchase it, go go learn more about it. So when you get a call from a girlfriend or a woman or anybody and they say, hey, my partner cheated on me. Sarah, how in the world am I going to? There's no such thing as a good divorce based upon the way I feel today. What's your advice? My advice is that regardless of the reason for the divorce. And again, generally they're not positive. I think you need to step back and think about if you're going to go down this path, how are you going to protect your children from being the collateral damage? And so your emotions are going to be running high. It is an emotional roller coaster during the divorce. Absolutely. And, you know, for, uh, before, during, and after lots of emotions. But I think figuring out how you get in the right, right mindset about the divorce. Um, I talk about in my book, building what I call a compartmentalization muscle. And what that is, is really figuring out, you know, when are the times that you need to be able to let those emotions out and in, in, in front of who, Mm. and um, when is it not the best time to show those emotions and who is going to be potentially scarred by seeing those emotions. And so I really talk about the fact that if you can figure out, you know, those moments when emotions are running high, 
how you either decide to let them out and then make sure you're in the right space to do that. And if not, hold them, hold them in for a little bit, get to a place where you can let them out. Because by the way, not letting them out at all is not healthy. You know, you can't just completely internalize things. But I do think those are conscious choices we have to make if we want to get through it. And at the end, I do think regardless of what triggered the divorce, I absolutely think that you can have a good divorce where your children are put first and you and your ex-spouse can co-parent in a healthy way. Now, I will say a couple of things, Nate, though. If there's been a, if you're in physical danger, if there's reasons where you can't interact with this individual, you know, completely appreciate that. And it, and it may be that there's a, a percentage of divorces out there that are going to have a really challenging time re- regardless of the circumstances. But there are a wide range of them that can if you actually build the muscle and you do the work. Okay, so build the muscle. Give us, let's get into some of the, the meat of that at a high level, though. Um, take us through some of your actionable items, regardless of it, whether this is a woman or a man listening to this podcast. I know you focus on moms, but I would assume it goes both ways. Yeah, it does. And in fairness, um, I've had many men read the book and they've said, you know, it, it is, I've, I've written it as if I'm sitting in my living room with a glass of wine, talking to a girlfriend in fairness, but the, the, uh, the principles apply for, for men and women. And for sure. Moms. So, so let's talk about some of those things. Give us some actionable items. People are listening and yeah. they're going through it right now, whether it's separation, divorce, post-divorce, wherever they're at. Yeah. What are some of the things that they should be doing to ensure a healthy environment for everybody? Yeah. So one of the things I talk about in the book is what I call minimizing the gaps. And what minimizing the gaps is about is the physical environment that your children are going to be living in after the divorce. Because in a divorce, generally, you know, someone's moving, or both, both families are moving, or both, both sides of the family are moving. And how do you make it feel like your kids' physical world is being pulled apart? Okay. So that's one that I think is really fundamental. And I, and I talk about, there's a story in my book where we had a long hallway of black and white family photos. That was a interspersion of my ex-husband and my family. And I made the conscious effort. Again, it goes back to making some effort of taking the photos down of my ex-husband's family and putting new photos up that were of my daughter and myself and, and other family members. And I had sent my daughter down the street for a little play date at age seven while I did this. So she didn't see any of this happen. And I came back or she came back from her play date and I was in the kitchen and I hear this little voice in the hallway say, Hey mommy. And I go, what's that great? She said, the wall has changed. Now you have to know, this is a wall that I thought was wallpapered or that she never noticed. I go, well, well, what's changed? She said, there are more pictures of me up there. It looks great. And she ran up to her room. Mm. Now, the interesting thing there and what I reflect on is if I hadn't taken the time to reframe pictures and put them on, and all I had done is taken my ex-husband's family photos down and put them in a box and given to him and just left those little hangers along the hallway, you know, interspersed. Right. What great would be telling a therapist years from now is my parents got divorced and my mom took all the pictures of my dad off the wall and she left those little hangers. Mm. Wow. That that wasn't the way it, Rod, I thought you were going. I thought you she was going to say something on the opposite, right? And I know that's where you were teeing up the story. I, she actually had a positive reaction to the way you handled it yeah. and said, hey, mom, thanks. There's a, actually, I see more of me and, and us now. Yeah. 
Interesting. Yeah. And so that's, but that's the thing, Nate. And I think sometimes we, we look past those little things that are so important for children that are going through this and for couples that are going through this. And the other, the other really important tip that I share is the very first time that we were going to tell Grace that we were getting a divorce. Prior to that, we went to see a child specialist that helps kids going through divorce. And he sat down with my ex-husband and I, just the two of us, Grace wasn't in the room. And he looks at me and he goes, do you travel? And I said, yeah, I travel professionally or I travel um, globally for my role internationally. And he looks at my ex-husband and he says, do you travel? And he said, yeah, I travel domestically. He said, well, Grace is about to become a professional traveler. She's going to travel every week for the next 11 years until she goes off to college, mm-hmm. back and forth between your homes. And Nate, I burst into tears, burst into tears. I'm like, that is not what I want for her. I do not want her. And he said, and she's going to pack a bag. And so I walked out of that day and I looked at my ex-husband and I said, I don't know what this looks like, but I want to do everything we can to ensure Grace doesn't feel like a professional traveler every week. How did you guys handle the schedule? You don't mind. So we were, we did a, yeah, we did a five, two, two, five. So she was, yes. So she was with, you know, one of us for a stint of five days and we flipped. And so, and then we obviously alternated weekends through that process. And, um, what was interesting with that decision we made at that point is that we did try to minimize her. So again, I do appreciate Nate, that some of this has socioeconomic considerations because we put all the basics in both homes. So, you know, the socks, the jeans, the, you know, the basics, not, not the, you know, the sports uniforms and the other things that have to travel back and forth, but as much of the basics we could, we sure. did. And what I found is that meant that when Grace walked out, whichever house she was leaving to go to school, all she was carrying was her backpack. She wasn't carrying an extra bag. And being the kid at school that had that extra bag she had to carry in the carpool line because she was going to mom or dad's house. That's fascinating. That's beautiful. That's really powerful stuff. You try to keep as much unity, uniformity uh, between the homes. Yeah. And so then that allowed her to come and go. And so I will say, and great. And, and I look back now, I do joke that somehow there were more socks that <laughs> would find their way at one house versus another. And we would have, I'd call them rebalancing moments when I'd text Max husband and say, Hey, I don't have any socks over here. Can you now, by the way, it wasn't for Grace to go into her dresser and find her socks. She didn't choose to live across two homes. It's not her job. Right. You know, She's seven, she's eight, she's, you know. So we would actually do the work of making the effort, going and figuring out what was out of balance. And then we would carry it in a bag and hand it to the other one. How did you guys break the news to Grace that mommy and daddy were breaking up? Yeah, we told her together, you know, in our family room. Um, and, you know, because of her age, and I think this really is age dependent, um, she took in the news. And after we told her, she goes, can I go upstairs and play now? I'm like, sure, sure. Yeah, go on upstairs. So I think, again, depending on the age and how you handle it, um, you know, kids are going to have different reactions. She actually took in the news and I think processed it in her own way. We did have her, in fairness, going to therapy. The next that we told her on a Friday, she was in therapy Monday morning with the child specialist. Um, and we she saw him for about six months just to help her through that, that transition. Um, and she she still knows he's there if she ever needs him. 
Um, so it's it's an interesting moment, obviously, to tell your child that and how to figure out how to do it the best way you can. And you never can predict how they're going to react. Um, but I think doing it, if you can do it together, if you can have one message and show that you're both still there for your children um, throughout the process, I think that's the most important thing. And, um, you know, I, I, I think that's the, if I give one other tip, you asked me about the practical tips. Uh, one of the, another poignant moment in our journey was when Grace was in sixth grade and um, we went to her parent teacher conference and at her school at that age, Grace and, and the parents, the child and the student and the parents go in to the parent teacher conference together. So we go in, we spent an hour with her teacher and at the end, her teacher looks at us and goes, are you two divorced? And they said, oh yeah, we've, we've been divorced for five years. And she said, I had no idea. And I looked at her, I said, well, it didn't occur to me to walk in here and say, hi, we're here for Grace's parent-teacher conference and we're divorced. You know, I said, that should have no bearing on us coming in and hearing how Grace is doing in school. And she said, you would be shocked at how few parents that are divorced can come into this office and sit for one hour and talk about their child's education. It is very, very rare. Mm. And she said, and it makes me so sad. Yeah. And I said to her, and by the way, Grace is here in this whole discussion. I said, that makes me so sad as well, because what is more important to two parents than how their child is doing in school? You got to put your child's health and interests way ahead of your own. I mean, it, it seems easy to people like you and I who have actually done that. And it seems unfathomable to so many people who just couldn't check their egos and made it all about themselves. Yeah. And that's and it, really what your bu book focuses on. It does. It is literally about the, the decisions you have to make and the discussions you need to have as you're thinking about what's going to happen for your children's lives like preparing for the divorce during the divorce and after the divorce. It's got to be pretty wild for you two to get, uh, you probably, once you told everybody, but going back and then all of a sudden your other girlfriends start feeling comfortable opening up to you. There was probably some of those moments too, yes. or other people in the community. So my question for you is we're getting close to finish here. Um, is there a common complaint that you hear from women? Is there kind of some general theme that's kind of like yeah that's that really surpasses all of them when they're saying to you hey sarah i don't think i'm happy and i think it's going to be separation time soon yeah i mean i do think i think the commonality is happiness you know or or lack of happiness in in a relationship and but is there like is there a i'm sorry is there a is there a, a is there an event that's causing this unhappiness that's kind of common across the board or does it vary? It varies. Yeah. The, my friends, it was a, it was a wide range of, of uh, challenges that led them down that path. And some, in fairness, I was aware of and some I wasn't until they came and talked to me to a point mm. um, and felt like they wanted to share. And I do think it's a, such a personal journey for everyone um, in those moments to decide when do you want to admit and to your point earlier, that this isn't going to work, that right. this, this that this might fail. And when you um, come to that moment of realization, then it's who do you want to share that reflection with? And then what do you want to do about it? I mean, many of my friends, it took years and years for them to make the decision to finally 
make a change. And I would just be there as a sounding board. I was not saying get a divorce, even though I had, I, I'm like, what, what can you do to work on out? What can you, can you do to try to make it better? But if there's a day when you think you can't, then I do fundamentally believe there's a way to do this. What about the mother? I'm using the mother because mostly the fathers are, are usually the ones working. But what about the spouse who doesn't work yeah. and comes to you and says, I want out, but I don't know how in the world I can make it happen financially? Yeah, no, I have a number of uh, situations of good friends where that was the case. And it's a scary thing. You know, I did work and I had always worked. So that wasn't a consideration from my standpoint. Um, so we talked about the practicalities of life, you know, going back to work, what would, you know, what would that look like? What types of roles could they do if they'd been a stay at home mom for 10, 15, 20 years? And those are, you know, those are situations where I'm, it, there's another layer of complexity, Nate, for those women. That is, and I and I say women because to your point, generally it is is a it is the female in the situation that's in that um, scenario. But I we there's lots you can talk through, but it is it is a challenging road ahead. I, I would imagine. I'm sorry to cut you off, but I would imagine, Sarah, that that is that has got to be the number one thing that holds people women back in these situations no is question. the financial aspect. They haven't worked in decades, a long time. And it's almost like it's just cozier and safe to be here unhappy than to have to go out into the wild. I'm just going to stick with where I'm at. Yeah, I think it's daunting. Yeah. I think it's daunting. That's, and a, I tough, can, that's a tough one. Yeah, it's a tough one. And I can appreciate why it's daunting. Sure. You know, I, it's, it's something that I had a lot of empathy for. Um, again, not having been in the situation myself, but can see what they were trying to think through and the realities of what they were trying to think through. One of the things, too, that you talk about, which you're spot on, are the firsts, the year of firsts. That's the toughest. Yes. That was the toughest for me. Yes. The first birthday after a divorce, the first holiday, the first event, Absolutely. all of those things where and you don't have your kids potentially on these these days, these holidays, these special moments. Um, the first year, I think, is clearly the hardest. Once you get past those firsts. You're able to really reframe and say, okay, I've already felt all these. There's no, there's no more surprises, hopefully, after this. What's your take? What do you say to people about the year of first? Yeah, you know, it is, first of all, it is a it is a challenging year. And again, I don't ever sugarcoat things in these moments. I, I think it is a challenging year. Um, what I say is each of those moments, the birthday, the holiday, the school play, you know, the, the anniversary. Think about how you want to approach that day or that moment, go through it, and then reflect on, do I want to do it again that way next year? Mm. Or do you say, you know what, I did it that way, and I'm not doing it that way. <laughs> I'm not doing it that way next right. year. It's a live and, and think, learn. Exactly. And I think you have a combination of those in that year first. You have moments where you're like, actually, that worked out well, you know, and, and let's let's keep that going. And other times you you know you're going to need to pivot next year because you don't want to have the same set of emotions in year two of whatever that moment is. Well said. The Mom's Guide to a Good Divorce, we've mentioned it several times, linked here in the show notes. Where else, Sarah, can people find you, social, online, et cetera? Yes. So um, I have a website, um, which is www.gooddivorce.guide. And you can reach me there. I'm on LinkedIn, um, Facebook, et cetera. And um, I, I, my email is on my website as well. So if anyone wants to reach out, they can reach me that way. Perfect. 
Final question for you. Uh, again, this is your chance to have the floor, your elevator pitch to whoever's listening, who who's ever questioning, maybe they're in a bad situation, maybe they're not sure. Uh, if you have a general message to depart with, what would you say to anyone that's contemplating divorce? I'd say do everything you can so that you can say to your kids that you did everything you could. And then if you decide that that's the path you're going to take, then put your children first. And sometimes, again, it can be a challenge because of the emotions we talked about to put your children first. And I fundamentally believe that if you do that, that a good divorce is an attainable outcome. It's not easy, but it's doable. And it is so worth it for the sake of your children. Mm, Beautiful stuff. Sarah, uh, thank you so much. Great connecting with you. Thank you so much, Nate, for having me on.